We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Feel like Kobe in a fourth quarter. This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast brought to you by Prize Picks coming at you Friday morning. It's January 26th, and we have both of the Wolves' wins this week against Washington on Wednesday in Washington and in Brooklyn on Thursday uh, to discuss. Been doing an episode after the Washington games. So we're going to kind of put these both together, probably focus a little bit more on the Brooklyn game. I have Kyle Taggy here with me for the Friday pod. How are we doing, Kyle? Uh, we're doing well. January 26th, 2024. Happy Australia Day to all our friends down under uh, and happy Spouses Day to all those who celebrate. And Dane, more than anything, happy 32 and 13 Friday because we, we've lost the way a little bit, but uh, 19 games over 500. Uh, you would think if you woke up in a coma, on Tuesday morning that you are covering, following, cheering, buying season tickets for maybe the worst franchise in all of sports. Uh, but the way I look at it, according to the internet, it looks like they have the second best record in the league. Uh, six and two, I think, since that Celtics loss, right? After, you know, the death march or whatever. So uh, two pretty dumb losses. You've done a good job with Britain, everyone else. Thunder loss, stupid, bad late game execution. Hornets game, embarrassing, disrespect to the basketball gods. Uh, but they just kind of continue. This is the trend, right? Just grind out wins and uh, another, you know, ugly one last night. But back to back games, Wizards and. Yeah, uh, I, I like grind. I, I like uh, ugly more than grind out. OK, uh, that's fine. Yeah, I mean, because it's both right. Like you're, you're you're totally right. And I'm seeing a lot of I, what I've seen, too, is there's a lot of, you know, fear and chaos and everything of like, is this, is this slipping away? And obviously a lot of that is reactionary for the, the reasons that you pointed out, because they have an awesome record and have broadly been awesome the whole season. I think it's just kind of like a little bit of both. And I think the end of games and, and fourth quarters are the, the perfect way to kind of encapsulate uh, what is both exciting and intriguing about this team. Right. And it's kind of the story of the whole season. Uh, they're a bad offensive team. They're an elite defensive team, and those things are exacerbated in, in fourth quarters. They are 19th in offense for the season. They are 27th in offense in fourth quarters this year. They are number one uh, in, in defense for the season with a defensive rating of 108.6. 
And in fourth quarters, they still have a defensive rating of 108.6, which is somehow second because Portland has a weirdly has a better defensive rating than that, which to me just means nobody tries against Portland in the fourth quarters. Pretty sure that's what it is. But there's like some clarity in that they have a 108.6 defensive rating, which is awesome for the season. And it's the exact same in the fourth quarter. The defense is extremely bankable, um, as, as bankable as anything could be. You know, obviously there's ups and downs. Um, it's it's excellent, and the offense is static in in what it is right. Um, average and different things fuel it at times, and different things kill it at times. Right now, fueling it is is Carl Anthony Towns. Um, last three games, where we were just saying before we hit record, they has like 120 points, and obviously 62 of those came uh, in the Charlotte game. But he's really followed up those two games with excellent offense in in the last two uh as well driving the the ship driving the ship <laughs> for for the wolves in these two games while anthony edwards has now taken a, a a step back into you know being a little less effective offensively particularly in the fourth quarters it's it's the you know things have to come together more for this team to get better offensively but they do have the baseline of an elite defense that i think is is making it that even in times when we're feeling a little frantic that you go well the defense is keeping them six and two over the last eight or 32 and and 13 over the season do you know who they've become (laughs) no they're the tom thibodeau timberwolves (laughs) right like so i was was just looking over the last 10 no 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 no, the the Tom Thibodeau, what the Tom Thibodeau Timberwolves were supposed to be. That doesn't Tom mean, but the, yes, yes, the ideal, the, the yeah. wet dream of Tom Thibodeau. Because I was looking over the last ten games, uh, number one in defense, number sixteen in offense. That is the Knicks, and boy, do people love the Knicks lately. The Wolves are number three in defense and twentieth in offense over the last ten for net eighth in net rating. So it's just again, they're uh, the Wizards game. Last night's game against Brooklyn, I'm in it. And again, happy Australia Day to our guy, Jake Painting. Like, I see some of the offensive stuff. Last night, we only have a couple more weeks of football, so we're going to keep pumping football analogies. But last night in the fourth quarter, they just basically punted on first down. And they were just, we don't even want to try to score. We're just going to punt and then play defense. And it's awesome. That defensive clip you posted on Twitter where Ant basically locks down Mikel Bridges for almost the entire shot clock and Jaden's literally like during the play clapping him on, which is some of the most shit talking you could ever do just while the play is happening uh, was awesome. But offensively just it's going to bite them. So again, 32 and 13, I'm, I'm hyped and they have, I think they're off to the best 45 games start in franchise history tied with the 0304 season where they go to the Western conference finals. The offense, especially late in games, is disastrous. But I just keep coming back to, I think it's easier to fix. I just don't know if they will. And it might be the thing that come April, we're like, that's why they got bounced in the first round. Totally Well, do you have aware. any theories on what, how they could fix it, or at least what needs to be fixed? Yeah, I mean, running plays would be awesome. That sounds fun. Uh, they didn't do any of that. And... And this is we can get into whatever direction you want with Finch or Carl or Ant. Uh, they just have low basketball IQ, even when Mike's out there. 
and they defer way too, there just needs to be another person. Like last night, the love Anthony Edwards. He's going to make the all-star team. He might make all NBA. His, just his ascension at 22 is insane. My maybe favorite player in the league. He waved off Carlton Towns last night, late in the fourth, so that he could dribble the piss out of the ball to then do a sidestep fadeaway three-pointer from the corner. And that was, I think, his 11th straight missed shot of the game. It was. And somehow, and somehow, I think it was Carl's fault, fault, according to like online, right? It's like, oh my God, Ant missed 11 in a row. How could Carl do that? Uh, just no, just not good shots, right? Like the only play they essentially ran in the final 12 minutes of the game was that like high pick and roll with Carl and Rudy that ended up, I mean, I, I don't think people gave that enough credit to how good of a find that was with Carl. His head's down, sure. he's dribbling, he's kind of getting doubled. And to find Rudy, I mean, that is part of what this team is supposed to do. Play big, lean into being big. Mm-hmm. I don't always love, you said this multiple times, I don't love all the time that Finch has to close with the same five guys he starts with. I like don't believe in that, but they do it, and they've closed almost every game with Carl and Rudy out there, so you got to find ways to make it work, and that play works. Well, just, well, I mean, Kyle, well, Kyle's been closing for, has been in the games, and Carl's been subbing out for defensive purposes. I mean, sure, yeah, in the yeah, clip that's... you're referencing there, Kyle Anderson subs into the game and the whole But not offensively. Yeah, yeah, no, no, you're right. It, it's it's just I which I think is I mean, I've been frustrated with Finch not just rolling out the the five starters and that at least at a minimum is like let's do some offense defense stuff. I'm I'm with that. A lot of people seem to hate that that Carl got subbed out when he had 62 points in the Charlotte game. I, I don't personally, I'm just like, well, Kyle Anderson's your best defensive power forward. It's not close that, you know, that makes sense to me. So I don't know if I say that to me and uh, whatever, like he's been just doing some things that aren't just rolling out the same five, which I feel like he would often do sometimes just out of being political, right? Mm-hmm. Don't want to get, don't want to ruffle any feathers. Rudy, you know, we talked about this a lot with Rudy last year. Um, or or cat at least there's i don't know s- some of that that that's happening and i think that's that's why that that last defensive possession probably doesn't happen uh the way it does if carl anthony towns is on the floor not because carl's like trash at defense or anything they just would have run the play to go at carl carl's man right. would have came and set a screen and they would have got the switch on a carl and that's a lot different of a proposition than anthony edwards or Jaden mcdaniels but continue. so I have, I have a question real question not snark when the offense bogs down and it basically just has continued to bog down for every second half slash fourth quarter, as long as, you know, dating back to almost Christmas. We as a collective say that like Chris Finch, that's on you. You need to get better at that. So who gets the credit for then the defense? <laughs> Finch. Yeah. For sure. Oh, okay. Just because like, I don't know. Sometimes I watch like Ant and Jane lock in in those last possessions or the way they sub out five, you know, that's a that was a oh, monster. It, well, I, maybe I shouldn't even say that. It, it's all on the defense being good is on the players and the coach, and the offense being bad is on the players and the coach. And like to the to the plays thing, everyone knows who listens to this. I I mean, for eighteen months, I've been sitting over here like structure, structure, structure. I've been doing that. Like mm-hmm. it, that is, I share this opinion that now everyone has come around to that this team needs more structure and play sets. But an important distinction and 
what we often do as people who, whatever, played basketball when we were kids and stuff, and we think about what play calls were when we were playing shitty high school basketball, is it was like we did literal plays. It was like <laughs> down screen, come up. And it was exactly, it was, it was a scripted action with a scripted end result. That's not how offense works in the NBA. Offense in the NBA is like an option route at in the NFL for a wide receiver. You read the defense and you take it long or you make a slant or you come in for a dig. That is how offense broadly works in, in the NBA and particularly so in Finch's system, maybe more so than some other teams. And so you can make the argument, like give them less options, right? And I would, that's what I think structure is, but it's always going to be the case that when Ant comes off of the high screen on his, on his, on the weak side or whatever, and then is coming off of it to, to do whatever, there are three different reads that Ant has to do there. It would be bad if Finch was said, just do exactly this, like, because the defense could just take that away. A big issue with the fourth quarter offense in particular, and the offense for the season as a whole, is the players who are running the sets or the offense are bad at determining what option to take within the course of a play. And there is blame to be shared with the coach there for sure. But you have who's hand or whose hands is the ball in all the time in these situations in the fourth quarter it's anthony edwards who is a prolific turnover player because he's a player that is still learning how to read gap help and what to do when that happens and how to read low man help and what teams are doing more and more and more as the season goes on they're going in their scouts anthony edwards struggles to read and effectively navigate gap help and struggles to re read and effectively navigate low man help. And what Ant does, because he can sometimes, is he has this outsized belief in his ability of like, I can get through this double, and then I can again get through and navigate at the rim once the big comes over to whatever, uh, contest my shot. Finch can take away maybe some options or try and script it more, take the ball out of Ant's hands more often, but at the end of the day, it doesn't work where Finch presses this button and the play just comes out and runs out exactly as it should, like when you're playing Madden. It's just not how NBA basketball works. So I'm frustrated with Finch. I think he should call more plays. But you have players on the team who are bad at running plays. That's why you're 19th in offense. That that is it, Those are both parts of the equation. So I don't know. I mean... It's just it's just so hard for me to put it all on Finch when I go back. And what I did before the Brooklyn game is I just watched like Ant's last 100 possessions. And and it is consistently making the wrong read. And sometimes he does awesome shit through that because he's awesome. But this is what's going on. It's why his turnovers are spiking. Like it's hard to do. It doesn't matter if you're Michael Jordan. It really doesn't. If there's two players basically guarding you and a third player loading up to help you, like, good luck, particularly if you have no shooters around you. And and if you have one, your one of your centers is in the dunker spot and Carl's at, like, 
17 feet just lurking there. It's bad spacing. That's what Finch, more than anything else, needs to do is say, get the spacing right and then make better options off of it. If they don't, if they don't get the spacing right and they don't learn from their mistakes and the decisions they're making, they're going to be a bad offensive team. We've seen this for 50 games. It's just the it's just the way it is. It's on all of them to come together and, and, and do it better. Or, yeah, you're going to lose in the first round. That's just how it's going to go. End of rant. Kind of blacked out there for a sec because you touched on something that is like a real scar tissue for me. But back at uh, the one and only South Middle School when I was playing middle school basketball, which was at the high point of my career, we ran those plays for my best, for my best friend, Ryan. It was just all dead end plays where it's like, oh, Ryan's going to get a pick and then he's going to run around and then he gets the ball. And it's like there was never any flow. It's just like then Ryan has to shoot it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's like that's the end. It's not this. Hey, we're going to run fist mm -hmm. and it's going to be three screens and a little back cut. And then Ant's going to get the ball. and It's going to be a jump shot. Right. Like it, it's a it's a it's a from what I understand from my smart <laughs> friends like you and Jake and stuff. It's a little more complicated than a dead end play. Mm -hmm. uh, but they still have to navigate that. And actually. The little rant you went on was the answer to the question you asked me at the top of like, what is your hypothesis of how this works? There's a chance. I, I, I've i been trying more than ever to just kind of pull myself out for a little bit, right? Like we are in the doldrums of just basketball right now. January is for all these teams, a grind. We saw we saw good teams fire coaches. We saw bad teams fire coaches this week. Uh, they still have at 32 and 13. They're not even at the 50 game. Right? They still have like 38 games. I'm, I'm not saying that I'm just pie in the sky. They're going to figure it out. But there's also just a chance. All that stuff you just talked about is like, maybe we're just six months from now. going to be like, yeah, remember December, January, February? We just sure. witnessed Ant learn again and grow. Like that whole, I'm just going to hunt assists and help Carl out on Monday. That was embarrassing. But it also might have been like a learning lesson where he's like, oh, sure. cool. Maybe tonight I can just like facilitate. Now, you should do it in a more, you know, Devin Booker-like way where you're still an offensive threat and you're putting pressure on the offense at multiple levels. But I know that sound. some people just don't like that and whatever. But there's just a chance that this is just the growing pains of this team. And that's yeah. what I'm holding out for is that every night they just, you know, you send Ant to the buffet and there's so many options. He's all these different reads he can do. And he's like, he's just getting a plate full of garbage. And it's like, actually, okay, let's condense it. You only get to go to the salad bar. That's it. Whatever you want to get the salad bar, but that's all you get to do. Give him less options. Good, but it also increases plays. So there's like a happy, you know, Venn diagram of of let's have a little more structure with a little less options to it. Mm -hmm. And this you have a, a first read and a second read, and then you can, you know, isolate. But the I mean, those 11 shots that he missed, I looked at him again today. I think 10 of them were bad shots, like really bad shots. Like he, he had that one like spin around triple spin that even Grady and Jim were like, that was a difficult shot. When they say that, that's like, that's a bad shot. Okay. They're, they're really respectful, but that's when they say that's a difficult shot. That's a bad shot. And then that corner three he took, they just, they have to find more ways to get. And they also got a, a play to me is not getting Carl a 22 foot post up because that's, what's going to lead to some of these turnovers. Last night he had six, which again, I don't really, I think turnovers are sometimes not all the same. So I wasn't like, oh, Carl had six turnovers last night. They don't win that game with Carl without Carl. Just like they probably sure. don't win a lot of games in January without Carl. I have no idea if you know how good he's playing right now, but he's at like 26, 8, and 54% shooting and 50% from three. So I mean, we can do more yeah. Carl stuff, but he's sure. just been 
Mm-hmm. You and I have talked about that Ant, I think, is this team's floor. And then, like, Carl provides them the ceiling. For the month of January, man, it's like Carl Anthony Towns is this team's floor and is their consistency. And then if Ant can figure some of this stuff out, he elevates the ceiling. It's almost flipped, in my mind, over these last couple of weeks and these last couple of months. And that's good. They still need to figure it out. Again, there there is stuff for them to work on. But that's kind of, you know, when I look back at last week or the week before, it's like maybe that's just what's going on. Like maybe these are legitimate NBA growing pains for Mm -hmm. a team and a player that's still trying to figure it out. And what is allowing them to make those growing pains okay, okay in the sense that they're still winning the vast majority of their games, is the defense is awesome. Pretty consistently awesome. awesome. Pornographic defense. Just, I mean, you said it better than anyone. I think they said on the call. That was a Mavericks Kyrie Luka moment last night Mm -hmm. just against Mikel Bridges and Dinwiddie and stuff. They just... When they want to lock when down, when they want for, to, that yeah, that and that's, and, and, that's part I, and of it too. that drives people crazy too. But like, I don't know, man. I go, I do pods, and I, half the time I just mail it in. Like, there's just moments where you're not going to play that level of defense every possession. No one does. There are defensive stoppers that play like that, right? Josh Okogi, shout out to him. They give you nothing offensively and play 18 minutes a game. So yeah, the when you want to part is the frustrating part because in in the playoffs when you want to, needs to be all 48. As long as you're on the court, you have to play that level of defense. But in the same vein, how many other teams or young wing do it? Like, name another team that you saw play defense like that recently when you're just scrolling around league pass. Well, I mean, end of games and that when it's locked in and Rudy clicks into another level. There's, he was there's, so good. There's nobody. I mean, and he had another one of the, like the LaMelo play at the end of the Charlotte game. How did that I make you another feel? Another one of the, the Cam Thomas plays. Uh, how was the LaMelo? Like, I know they lost that game. Embarrassing. Everyone should feel terrible. But how, I, that I was... think I said on the pod the next day that that's the best defensive play I've ever seen in person. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, I'm like, I don't know if that was is hyperbolic at all. Let's uh, let's let's grab our first break. Uh, today's show is brought to you by Stone and Skillet English Muffins. Kyle, have you finished your jumbo pack of of Stone and Skillet English muffins that they sent I, us? I'm literally I'm on the website now. I need the promo code again because I got to order more. But I did. I went through every flavor, and I swear by them. They're so 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 good. So we, uh, well, well, part of it is like we left one of the bags open, and then like you know you you like make your English muffins, and you mm-hmm. forget to do the little twisty tie thing and put it back on after you buy the toaster. I'm like, oh man, I got to throw these three away. Like I've been sitting out open. Um, that that was our our last bag from from the box they got. So, you know, when Molly got groceries this week, like she must not have gone to Whole Foods where you could get uh, the these started skillet English muffins, and she got like different ones. And I was like, Molly, like come on, these are the sponsor of the pod. But so whatever. The next morning, I'm like, all right, I'm you know I'm gonna make a different English. Muffin. They're so different. I guess like yeah, I, I'm not like I'm not, they're they're extremely different. Like the you get the normal whatever. Uh, company English muffins. They're just like empty, like kind of air. And I, I have enjoyed what I've had these stone and skillet uh, English muffins for breakfast because there's actually like something to them. There are six grams of protein in there. They're non-GMO certified. It's a, you know, it's always an indulgence like to have a big old piece of bread uh, in the morning. But uh, if you are going to, this is a substantially healthier and more like fulfilling way uh, to be able uh, to be able to to have this, and I know it's it seems silly that we're like promoting English muffins, but I'm and I'm like a a toaster English muffin guy like almost almost every morning, and having had these is 
something you know that, that both of us have like we text each other like a picture of like you know you have every <laughs> yeah. hey, no, that that private yeah. <laughs> um but i we, we just think um uh, not only do we like the product uh and another reason i you know i was excited to bring this these guys on uh as a as a sponsors you know we're doing our own little entrepreneurial thing yeah uh, sure. over here and and they are too and stone and skill has been doing this for for 10 years but uh what they've kind of built um, from literally their kitchen in in Boston that uh, kind of blew up uh, on the East Coast and is now moving its way uh, to to the Midwest. And uh, th- this, I appreciate that. And it seems something as silly as as English muffins, but that's hard to do. And um, for me, like as a consumer, like I, I want to I want to support that. Um, you know, more than just random item X. I always, you know, I always try and do that with all my purchases. Uh, so if you do, if you are an English muffin person, if you are a big breakfast person, I really do recommend uh, Stone and Skillet. You can go to stoneandskillet.com uh, and order these English muffins to be delivered straight to your home. If you want to do that, uh, use the promo code Dane. They'll give you uh, 20% off uh, on your order. And, you know, if you don't want to order them in the mail and you are a whole food shopper, just go over to the the bread section there and um, pick up some some stone and skillet English muffins and uh, can't use the promo code at the checkout counter, but uh, you will be supporting a business that uh, supports this show. So we're grateful for them. Uh, that's stoneandskillet.com. Again, promo code Dane for 20% off. All right, Kyle, where do we want to move next year? Do you want to go into, do you want to go into cat specifically how, how he's been playing uh, of late? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess just curious. Uh, we talk a lot offline, but I haven't really heard you go into this topic because there's been so many other topics this week. But uh, I guess just are you aware of how good he's playing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just, just curious. I, I, haven't, I haven't watched it. Yeah. No, I mean, it's it's been. Uh, it, I mean, Ant, it's because Ant is in the middle of a bit of a lull. Right. And, you know, I, I, I think about it from the sense of particularly the like oh if the wolves move on from carl anthony towns and like you know maybe nasreed can just move into the starting power forward spot or whatever and i've thought about that the last three games where you know both ant and nas have played you know, really poorly um by relative to their to their normal standards and and having carl be able to just be give you like a baseline of competent and more than uh, efficient offense uh, as he has been lately, it it's one, it's huge because it's it's making you not lose a game to a bad Wizards team. It's making you not lose a game to a bad Nets team. Obviously, you'd like them to be able to handle that on their own, but the reality is they wouldn't have been able to. They would have lost one or both of those games if Carl wasn't playing at the level that, that Carl was, was playing at. And then you take that another step forward and you go, all right, can we get 90% of this from Carl? Obviously, every, you know, He's not going to be averaging 40-some points a game over the course of every three-game pocket of the season. But can you get 90% of what Cat is doing offensively plus having Ant get back to closer to his norm, having Nas get back closer to his norm as those three are you know, three of the big op- individual offensive engines on this team? And you go, all right, that seems like a pretty reasonable path to moving, you know, moving this offense up into the realm that they need to be in. And from the Wizards game, you know, that's what that's what stood out to me. I just put down in my notes, I was like, K 
cat and ant combining for 62 points greater than one of them getting 62 points. There needs to be more of that over the course of the season where it's cat and ant simultaneously driving offense uh, in, in one game. And, and that's the, I think that's the frustration uh, about the Hornets game and the Brooklyn game is it was just one of them. It was just Carl in those games. And then there's been, you know, there's been plenty of other games. I think of the Boston game earlier in the season where Carl really struggled and it was all ant. We aren't getting enough of both of them playing well offensively together. That's actually pretty strikingly rare. Um, how, how often that, that comes together, but to your point from earlier, growing pains, right. And there are, that's what we say about all these things that we're nitpicking about this team is like, we're not necessarily pointing at it. Like this is screwed. The offense is going to be terrible forever. We're looking for ways in which what different buttons can they push at the same time or push more consistently so as to drive more frequently efficient offense. And I think the biggest way to do it is finding ways to get cat and ant to be good offensively um, in the same game. And yeah, some of that is structure and play calling and that, and some of that is, you know, it, it's doing it as, as, <laughs> as you're the, the players and your aunt and you go like, obviously, and he copped to this, like Carl's rolling. You can't just take the night off, you know, and if Carl's rolling, it should make it easier for Ant to score. Yes, it should. <laughs> so I said this before the break, but yeah. So in the month of January, 14 games, Carl's shooting 50, he has splits of 54, 50, 86, um, 50% from three on six attempts. Be a, for a month, that's a kind of a season high. Uh, he did, he did cop to after I think the Wizards game to our friend John Krasinski about how what did he what was his comment? I've I've heard people say that I I should shoot more threes. So thanks for listening to the pod. Uh, but yeah, I mean it just again it hasn't completely bared out, right? I was a big believer in if Carl just took three more threes a game and Ant had three less isolations that the offense would take up a little bit. Those numbers aren't there, but I also. I feel like Ant is kind of on a, the opposite of a heater lately. Like, it just mm-hmm. kind of, yeah, he, I mean, the cool thing about Anthony Edwards now is that he can give you 36 points in a game, and you'd be like, ah, I thought he kind of played bad. Mm-hmm. Um, like, that's just how awesome he's become as a scorer. But this month, I mean, they just, he's just letting it fly a little more, at least from the eye test. And simple little sets, I mean, Nikhil does a good job of finding him kind of on those high pick and rolls where they kind of include Rudy as well, and then Carl flares out. But it can pop. Yep, it just screen the screener. Yeah. It, 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 again, he doesn't jump on his jump shot, which is I think really sweet. I wish I could do that, but he uh it just looks quick in a quick release and there's still weird drives. There cannot be a team in the association that falls down more than this team, and you'd love for that stuff to stop because it's almost always a transition opportunity or bucket for the other team, but uh I just I just wanted to point it out that he's you know, 26 points, seven rebounds, three assists this month. Uh, less stray voltage than normal, I think. Obviously, some moments and stuff. No, but for sure, lately, I, yeah. I just thought that this is part of, and it sucks. It would be great if everyone else around Carl was playing really well right now offensively because then those numbers would probably See, increase. But that, what's, that, that's what's interesting to me is the like, in the games when Carl's three-point volume really does go up, it's interesting. What when Like, the theory is, right, this team with more spacing and more three-point shooting would make the offense better, right? Like, that seems 
if you're watching every Wolves game and you're seeing when the offense doesn't work, you go, it's not enough three-point shooting. It's not enough spacing. And we were, we knew we were going to talk about Cat's three-point volume going up before the Brooklyn game when we were talking yesterday. And so I was just looking, I was just looking at it, and there's been four games this season where, where Carl has taken 10 or more threes. Obviously, most recently, uh, the Washington and Charlotte games. And I was just, the, the, the four teams he's done it against <clears throat> have all been bad. Um, <laughs> Toronto, Golden State, Washington, and Charlotte. Those teams have a combined record of 52 and 118. And, and I'm like, okay. And then I, I looked up the Wolves' offensive efficiency in, in, those, in those four games. And the Toronto game, where Carl shot 10, was the Wolves' worst offensive rating game of the entire season. The, the Golden State game, where, where Carl shot 12 threes, was the Wolves' 10th worst offensive game of the season. And the Washington game, where he shot 10 threes, was the Wolves' 15th worst offensive game of the season. And then the Charlotte game, um, in part because he was you know, making more of them, it was their ninth best offensive game of the season. And that's more just an observation. I still I think I believe it's good for the Wolves offense to have Cat space the perimeter and shooting more three-point shots. But what do you think that's about? Like, why has the offense, is it because it's rare that Carl shoots a ton of threes that everyone's like confused and, you know, steps out of the way? Like, in my head, it makes sense that the four games that Carl shoots double-digit threes particularly if it's against trash teams, like I would have expected those to be all in their top 10 offensive games of the season. It's just, uh, I don't, I don't know what that's about, I guess. And, and it could just be randomness, right? It could just be like, all that's right, what I'm baby. pinning it on. I just, yeah. tra- Charlie Brown teacher. Wah, 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 that's all I heard you say. I just, Jimmy Butler <laughs> paper, just throw the paper over my shoulder. Uh, because I live in a world. Yeah. Well, and it's also kind of, I, it's a fulfilling prophecy of, if they can't win games or have a good offense when the self-proclaimed best shooting big man of all time is shooting threes and making them at a pretty absurd clip 50% this month, mm-hmm. then that's going to probably answer some questions come this summer. Uh, and we'll get to that point. But like, if he's on the team, I'd, I, I'm just, again, we're not really blaming anyone. We're just kind of looking at this sample size of this week or these 10 games or whatever and just kind of like, who's been good? Who's been bad? Stock up, stock down. I just continue to want Carl to take a bunch of threes. Oh, no, I, I, and, and it, me too. I was just, but the, the the stuff you said is like really, really next level smart. I just, I'm going to say no, every I, time I say something good, it's like small sample size. It's like that's just small sample size. Yeah, I don't, that's true. I don't really care that maybe. I mean, maybe what'd you say? You did that, that against a bunch of bad teams. Maybe everyone and their cousin just came into that with that same Charlotte Hornets mentality of like, oh, bad team, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but I also think too, let it fly against a good team because. Mm-hmm. You're only going to play those teams come April and possibly May. But I just I I enjoy that he's letting it rip more because mm-hmm. I live in a world where I don't see how it's bad for Carl to take a lot of threes, mm-hmm. especially if they're in, you know, the sure. flow, the flow of the offense. Some of that. I've never seen a big guy make that many threes before. Like when someone's going for 60, like Steph Curry, it's always a guard. Yeah. that's putting up those high numbers so on that Monday game. It was just awkward to see a seven footer putting up 60 some points uh but i i am just continue let it fly pro can't hear anything else no noise just let it fly because that's got to help because when you're talking about that all i could think about and we're talking about hey finch you got to run more sets and more plays and stuff when the ball swings to carl pick and pop 
and he lets it fly right away. Yeah. I don't care about the result. That's good offense. When the ball swings in a set to Kyle Anderson in the corner, which is like, you got to let that fly. And he doesn't. Well, then that kills the play. And now yep. we're all mad at Finch, but it's like the play got a good look. Kyle Anderson has no one within 10 feet of him, but he needed 12 feet to get the shot up. Yeah. So we shoot Carl shoot. <laughs> I, I have something I think like kind of ties that uh, together. I was noted that the Wolves started the the second quarter on a nine zero run. First quarter yep. was kind of sloggy, um, and then just they Finch was kind of over the last few weeks like locked into uh, a, a new rotation, right? Like Jordan McLaughlin's the the ninth guy in the rotation every night, and it ends up being at the start of second quarters. Um, and the start of fourth quarters, that it's the same five guys uh, every time. It's Towns, Reed, Anderson, Alexander Walker, and McLaughlin. And they've been kind of like searching for that second unit. And initially, it would be uh, Gobert would be in there mm-hmm. with it, rather than Towns. So it would be Gobert, Reed, Anderson, Nah, J Mac. And Finch made an adjustment. Um, I would say probably about three, four weeks ago where he switched cat and go bears rotations. So cat is in with that second unit to start second quarters and fourth quarters. And I think um, that was based in the logic of, all right, we can't play lineups with Gobert, Anderson and McLaughlin all out there. That's three non shooters or two and a half non shooters. And so you put towns into that. And I was, and I think I mentioned a couple weeks ago, I'm like, this is good. That lineup has more shooting in it. It's going to have, more spacing, which you need particularly in the Kyle Anderson minutes, but it wasn't working. Mm-hmm. It was still, it was still problematic. And what stood out to me when those lineups played last night and in more recently in the last few games is I think what Finch is doing is structuring the offense more. And again, it's hard for us to know exactly when a specific playset is called more often. But to me, it looks like with that group, Finch is saying, okay, we need more shooting on the floor. So we did that with Carl. And we also need more structure with that group, maybe because Mike Conley's off the floor to bring that self-made sort of structure that he comes with. And Ant's off the floor, who can just kind of create offense himself whenever he wants. So I think he's turned up the structure and play calling volume in that group with all the caveats of what we talked Mm -hmm. about at, at, at the beginning of the game. And I think that is a micro example of a thing that could help this team in the macro right being intentional about the groups all of them whatever it is whenever it's happening being super intentional about reading what's on the floor and what you have offensively and scripting an offense according to that to that personnel and that's hard to do over the Mm -hmm. course of the game because you know like Mike Honor has got his rotation chart and they got it all plotted out before at the beginning of the game but then Jaden picks up two fouls in the f- first four minutes of the game. And you're like, okay, you know, now Nikhil's going to be in with the starters and it's everything else is going to be chaos or Carl gets foul trouble, whatever. So it's a hard thing to do. I would imagine as a coach to be super intentional about these things within the chaos of a game. But to me, there needs to be some of that, like less blind belief that they're just going to be able to sort of figure it out based on the group. And I think, with this team, they need more coaching and guidance in those moments. And I think that's an example of Finch being able to do that. What I would just say is be more in, intentional about the other groupings that might need that too. 
And again, hard to do, but that's an example of, of how I think it could get better uh, for this team if that if that happens on a more broader scale. During that 9-0 run that you referenced to start the second, give me that five-man lineup again. Carl Anthony Towns, Nas Reed, Kyle Anderson, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, Jordan McLaughlin. I would say that is what we view as the second unit of this team now. Okay, I think there was a lineup, but I was I just put some in my notes that had Jaden in for Nikhil. So it's like a Nas, Jaden, J-Mac, Kyle, Cat lineup. I don't, I'm going to just made that up, but I thought that happened last night because I had that in my notes and said lineup was sick. So that's my analysis of that. But I'm with you on everything you said. I've I noticed that because you've told me, but that they kind of switched the Gobert and Carl thing. Uh, but I that lineup, and he still does a, it. A perfect but. example of not having blind belief, right? Like yep, yep. Playing yep. playing Gobert, Anderson, and McLaughlin was having blind belief in in the idea. Playing that, Shake Milton, yeah, in NBA games is a blind belief because you. I mean, now we just pivoted to my new segment, Shake and Take, but you just you're you're trying to. Just assume that, hey, he's going to be able to play backup point guard. Or to your point on this second lineup, like, they're just going to be able to figure it out. And it's not, that's not, that's like where I want more structure is, you know, this isn't, you you can't just throw these five guys out there and think they're going to figure out. You got to give them sets and and little more, again, they're going to still do some free flowing stuff. This isn't like a Kyle Shanahan, Brock Purdy, one read type thing. But you also, again, back to any, the ant stuff, you can't give them too many options. So I thought that second unit was really great. I thought that 9-0 run. Again, they, they give you these doses, and it's probably why some people get so frustrated with them is they give you these doses like that was good basketball on both sides. Pretty much everything made sense. Uh, how do you take that small sample size and try to extrapolate it out to can we do that with more lineups? And again, so I was wrong. It wasn't Jaden. It was Nikhil. Just a quick Nikhil Alexander-Walker. Got to retire the jersey. He's so <laughs> he's so I mean, he just. What, what did you say? Someone said this to me that Nikhil Alexander Walker, I they think is shooting a hundred percent. It should be like Rubio Dash Alexander Walker. Yeah, like, yeah. This is yeah. the Nikhil Alexander Walker wearing nine and Ricky Rubio wearing nine is pretty much our version of the Nikola Jokic, Carmelo Anthony wearing fifteen in Denver. <laughs> like we're gonna have that debate this summer. Uh, but Nikhil, it feels like Nikhil is shooting one hundred percent when opposing teams are going on a run. Like he is the run stopper. Yeah. Well, he had one of the. Well, I mean, the fourth quarter was bad, right? <laughs> sure. And the, but but the points, No, 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 no. I'm, I'm, going, I'm going positive. Cat had 10 points. Rudy had two points on the one that Cat created and lobbed to him, and Rudy dunked it. And the other, only other points of the entire fourth quarter were that one uh, Nikhil Alexander drived on the left slot, mm-hmm. and then he had a free throw uh, as, as well. So, um, yeah, it, it feels like bankable. Like, within the realm of a 3 and D player, like, you – Nikhil's offense in that limited role is feeling is feeling pretty pretty bankable and he's he he's kind of becoming this team's Marcus Smart like you know he he's still only what 24 years old but it, he's an old 24 being in the league being a lottery pick kind of failing kind of busting out uh I just there are so many little things with him that you just really truly maybe don't even catch on the first view of the game that never going to be in a box score he just his defense is nails and he just gets into guys he'll never have <clears throat> Jaden's length or Ant's physicality but to be able to throw him out there in spots when Jaden is in fall trouble or Ant or they need a backup point guard I just I don't have any stats it's just vibes but he <laughs> is about as good of a vibe he might be like my favorite guy to watch right now because he is calm under pressure 
uh, and his jump shot's never going to be aesthetically pleasing to shot doctors like you, but man, it, uh, it goes in. And that's been just, he's been a lifeline for this team during this last stretch. Today's show is uh, brought to you by Prize Picks as well. PrizePicks.com or the Prize Picks app, uh, promo code Dane for a $100 sign up bonus. Kyle, we've been doing this uh, all season, giving on the, the Friday show some, some prize picks that we like for the, the NFL slate. Uh, this this coming weekend, the one to obviously start with is they have basically a free square, which is Christian McCaffrey, more or less than 0.5 rushing yards. So if McCaffrey rushes for a yard, um, you hit that one. What else do you have uh, on on your on your card that you like maybe quickly because we're kind of running long here um, for for the, the, the slate this weekend? Best weekend of football of the year four best teams remaining. Uh, Chiefs, Ravens, and Lions, 49ers. So in that Ravens game, I like Lamar over one and a half passing touchdowns. I think it's a little red goblin. Oh, so I so uh, get a little, little spicy, that, spicy yeah. there. Um, if he's going to be throwing around a lot, which I think Lamar will have a lot of passing attempts, uh, Odell Beckham Jr. over 22 and a half receiving yards, kind of have him on ice. Uh, but someone's got to catch the ball. Mark Andrews is back. Oh, it's, but down I think to, that, it's down to 20 and a half. Perfect. That makes me feel even better. Um, and then, yeah, that Christian McCaffrey free square. And then Isaiah Pacheco, he just, he runs. Do you want like, to get bold and do the Odell? Yep, I do uh, actually. The, get spicy. The, 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 the oh, 39 and a half. With Odell the over 39 multiplier. and a half now. Yeah. And then give me Pacheco over 64 and a half rushing yards. Again, he runs like he's a diehard Timberwolves fan. Uh, AKA he's just pissed <laughs> off all the time. So how many, which one do you want to do? for Isaiah the Pacheco 64 and over 64 and a half. Yeah. So okay. what does that give you for odds? You put Odell, um, Isaiah, Lamar, and then the free square. That is, if you did a the $20, math. you would get uh 380. So that's 19 uh, mm. to one on this. Mm. I mean, I've, I've been given some long ones on these uh, recently. And we're not saying it's a 50, 50 proposition that all four of these things uh, come to fruition. I would say it's probably better than a 20 to one chance that all of these things come together. And that's kind of the point of prize picks. It's having mm -hmm. that way of being able to do like $5. And if you just did $5 and you did, you know, Kyle's pick here, if it hit, you get a hundred. And um, I, I think, I think to me, that's what makes uh, is, a, is a distinction between maybe the sports books and stuff that other people, other States have access to. To me, this feels more like fantasy sports. It is daily yep. fantasy sports. And I and I and I find that uh, to be fun. So PrizePicks.com or the Prize Picks app again. Promo code Dane. Uh, love how many of you are, you know send me you know messages and stuff like that about uh, what your what your picks are uh, for the for the week. This is this is a fun sponsor that we like to have. So um, as always, we, we appreciate you supporting the sponsors that support us. All right, Kyle, where are we going next? Well, I've praised Nikhil. I said uh, Carl's been really good. Uh, you know, the Ant stuff, there's not much more to say. Just a couple of dud games. Last night might have been one of his worst games. Back-to-backs uh, back again, man. I mean. I, but also, too, I, my take was going to be as simply that, uh, like, it's okay. It, it, trust mm -hmm. me. Let me put an arm around you. Come here. It's okay. Like, we can criticize him. He's yeah. he's built for it. His coach right. does. His teammates do. Like, it's, it's okay. Guys, we're not taking sides. This isn't Republicans and Democrats. Like, Carl's playing well and Ant's not. That doesn't mean we have to have a civil war. Sure. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, back-to-back. -back, you know, he. He was, just to say it, he was bad last night. And if they lose that game, you probably got a point and say he, he lost them the game. But then he had, and that's why I love the kid. And I think at 22, he's going to become a face of the league and he's going to become what we think he can become. 
because when he couldn't get the shot to fall, he still made a winning play down the stretch yep. by basically just sending Mikel Bridge to Rikers. Uh, it was awesome. But I mean, I don't know. Any The only other thing I can think of is... I, I really like on that, that Bridges play too. He had the one reach that was like... Mm, yep. You yeah, know, don't do that. Um, don't do that. But, but it was like... He does that all the time, right? Once he like really starts turning somebody and he gets into that like wall mode that he can unlock, uh, he and they start retreating a little bit in his head, it clicks like to attack. And and to do that, you know, that's that's gonna be a reach. And if there's any sort of contact, you know, more times than not, you're gonna get blown for a whistle. And I thought it was he had the one reach that was like close, and then he pulled back. There was another opportunity to kind of poke at it, and he didn't. And, and that to me was big growth in, in that situation because you didn't need to steal it at that point. Bridges was already going to be getting off of it. And, and he did, he ultimately, you know, swung it to who it was Cam Thomas or whatever, who Jaden was guarding, who swung it over to Dinwiddie, who Gobert just like tarantula And then, you know, Mike Conley as, as Dinwiddie tried to pass it, Mike Conley knocked it out of bounds. I hated solid is enough. When it was the Wolves' defensive <laughs> yeah. game plan yep. during the the Ryan Saunders era, but it's not when you have elite personnel, particularly in like a, that was the whole thing was like you know we're we're playing drop coverage and if we play solid is enough with Nas Reed and Carl Anthony Towns you know as our bigs we're like we'll give up those mid range shots and that's that's going to be enough when you have Rudy Gobert as your drop coverage center and you have four surrounding high level perimeter defenders. Solid is enough. You don't need a Malik Beasley possessions. It is not success is not determined by getting a steal or getting a block. Just being solid and forcing your man to make the next pass. That's what they did in both this like flash bulb highlight against the Nets and Bridges as they did against Luca and Kyrie uh, at the end of last season as well. It's just squaring your guy up, making them uh, get off the ball. And Ant has the skill set to do that, I think, as much as more than anyone else on this team. So, yeah, I, I think it's absolutely fair to be uh, criticizing Ant and have some frustration with his his play of late. It's, uh, it, it, it's getting ridiculous to me that in year four, back-to-backs are this big of a problem for him uh, in terms of energy management. Um, and it's in year four getting ridiculous to me how often – he is spending time talking to the referees yep. and not getting back to to match up with his man and how often that just leads to one pass, two pass, wide open three uh, for the other team. Uh, and as Finch always says, like immaturity can show up in, in many different ways. That Those are the two key ways that immaturity is, is showing up for Anthony Edwards, who is 22 years old, um, but has, is, you know, every article I've read and, uh, podcast I've listened to about all-star starters in a loaded Western conference. Anthony Edwards is a no-brainer on everyone's making, you know, the the all-star team. So that's the bar, right? Like that's the that's the level that I think is okay for us to hold him to. And um an all-star player, one of the best players in the league, needs to be more consistent in their game to game and possession to possession uh behavior than 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 Ant has been recently. It's not it's not the end of the world. We've seen him do it uh, at other times. But when he's doing this, if Carl Anthony Towns doesn't pick him and the team up, they lose. 
And uh, that's just kind of the reality uh, of the situation for this team right now, I think, in, in relation to Anthony Edwards. There's a chance, and I'm, I'm starting to believe this on some things, like on the court behaviors. But when people say, you know, Carl's 28, he might just be who he is. I, I could see that. Uh, but with Ant, I don't think that. Like, I think he has more. And that's why if Carl is who he is, why would I be frustrated in certain things when he's not meeting my hopes or expectations? It was like, well, he might just be who he is. With Ant, again, the bar is so high. He's going to make his second All-Star team in four years. He's got his own shoe. Maybe the best-selling non-Sabrina basketball shoe on the market right now. Uh, he's in movies. I mean, he's doing everything. I don't think Anthony Edwards plays defense like that last night if he's on the Hornets. And that's part of these growing pains things. Yeah. It's like, we used to think, is the Gobert Carl experiment going to be what dooms them or, or brings them to a territory that they've never been? I'm more thinking now, and we did this like two weeks ago, it's like, will Anthony Edwards be able to mature and learn enough? You know, like, like Doc Rivers is going to have to learn so much on the fly in these last 40 games to coach his team. Can Ant learn what mm -hmm. some players take six years to learn in four years, right? Because they're going to need him to all the bad stuff that he does he is still their best player. He's still going to be the guy that wins them a playoff series or a second round playoff series. So that I, I Zapruder filmed that final possession last night. Like there's so many cool aspects. Everything you said about Ant reaching once was awesome. There's really only other one way to describe that defense. It's like a pit bull because once he starts to see you retreat, he just gets like a taste of blood. The Jaden McDaniels clapping thing is just, again, so derogatory towards the opponent i love that but also too when you watch that because all 10 guys are in the the screen of that highlight yeah no brooklyn nets players are like turning to an official being like hey that's a foul and that was cool that was as good yeah. of defense as you get in a in a game where you're only up two, and if you follow mikhail bridges which Jaden ends up doing he's gonna shoot two free throws yeah. so to play i mean that is towing the line of I mean, I, there's just officials that would have called that. It wasn't a foul, but, you know, you're towing the line of I could lose the game for my team or I could just single-handedly win it. Uh, and that type of stuff, man, is is why I like tuning in. Um, Before the season, I think it was a me and me and Brit pod. Uh, you know, we're it's the it's the preseason stuff. So we're like we're drilling in <laughs> down into like it was probably in one of our bigs episodes. Right. So we're focusing on Nas and Kat and, and Rudy. And uh, one thing I talked about uh, in that time that you know, before I was doing those, that's what it was. It was the, it was the Biggs episode. I was, you know, I went through and, you know, watched a bunch of clips or whatever from, from those players from, from the year before. And when I was watching the Rudy ones, I kept noticing how often um, last season when he would catch the ball in the like outside of the restricted area, like eight feet away from the hoop, how often things just went terribly. For, for the Wolves last season. And at that time, I was like, okay, so what's the answer here? Like, he's going to be there sometimes. So if whenever Rudy catches the ball eight feet away from the basket, if that's always a disaster, then one of two things need to happen. People need to not pass him the ball when he's there, which is just, you know, kind of hard to do. Um, or... Rudy needs to develop something that he can do from the short, uh, from the short mid range. And he's taken some mid range shots this year. Uh, he's one for seven on, on mid range jumpers uh, for the season. And you know, a handful of them like late in the shot clock, I think he's probably better than a 14% mid range shooter, but like, that's not it. Like that's not the answer in my opinion. 
of, of what to do in that little eight to 10 foot range. And what I said on that pod um, with Brit, which I actually thought was kind of like outlandish at the time, because Rudy had like literally never taken a push shot. Um, I mean, not literally, but not last season. And and I was uh, I was like, I think that would be a great thing for Rudy to do again, like most things Rudy does on offense that aren't dunks, uh, not aesthetically pleasing, but you're looking for the best bad answer in, in those situations. And the push shot, I think, is pretty clearly the best bad answer uh, for Rudy. It's something he did in the first couple of games of the season. And I was like, oh, you know, light bulb on. I talked about this in September and I asked him about it. He was like, it's actually something I worked on a lot this past summer uh, with the, you know, when we were, he was working out with the French national team and everything about something he, he wanted to add to his game. And he had a few of them in the beginning of the year, uh, made a couple, but I, I, I don't know what the numbers were exactly. It wasn't like a super profitable thing, probably better than a mid-range jump shot. There was, um, but then it just disappeared. And, and it stood out to me in, in the Washington game, he had a couple of catches there. And he just wasn't doing anything with it. Took one mid-range jump shot there. And I tweeted out after that Washington. I'm like, this, the push shot needs to come back. And then it was funny or, I guess, prescient that uh, in last night's game against Brooklyn, I think he took three of them or, mm -hmm. or four of them. And it is such a more, again, it's going to look ugly when it misses, but it's, it is a more aesthetically pleasing. And I would bet a hell of a lot of money that that shot goes in way more than him squaring up to take an actual jump shot there. I think that's actually a move you can do with like a little bit more force. He's just taking him when he's open. That's also one you can kind of like take a power dribble and like chest to chest, like more even like a floater in, into somebody else. It's just really important that Rudy isn't an absolute zero outside of the restricted area. And I think um, that's a way for him to not be when teams are absolutely ignoring him when, when he's outside of that area. So I don't know. Like, let's put a let's put a pin in that, Rudy. Maybe it was two for three last night. I think he took three of them, and I know he made two, so two for three or two for four. Um, that that could be something in the playoffs because what are teams going to do in the playoffs, particularly against Rudy Gobert? They're going to try and find every little which way to make him a little less efficient and effective. That's an important thing uh, to have in his bag, and I know it it seems kind of small, but it's a completely new thing. Uh, when comparing last season to this season. And emotionally, that push shot is worth 12 points because every <laughs> time he takes it, the teams have not... What did you say? He's yeah. taken a, a dozen of them this season. It probably hasn't made its way through the film when opposing teams are scouting this team because yeah. there's 12 shots in 40-some games. Uh, but every time he takes it and makes it, my first reaction is to just look at any opposing player or an opposing bench, and they are just... Their <laughs> souls have been zapped from their bodies. Right. So that's why I mean it's worth 12 points. I mean, it's just this little thing. That's what you're being told in the scout is like, you know, let Rudy catch there. Let Rudy do whatever mm -hmm. there. Like last year, it was like the big loping Euro to the basket that led into some funky finger. Roll. Like, yes, if that's what the move Rudy's going to do at eight to 10 feet from the basket is, by all means, if I'm playing against the Wolves, let him go do that. Um, you feel like that's a win in a possession when Rudy catches the ball there. If the Wolves can make that, a win for themselves or even just like a not a massive L there, there's value in that it and it, it like it changes the trigonometry and spacing of everything if you make a couple of those if you're Nick Claxton you need to start respecting it a little bit more which opens up Carl Anthony Towns to like come in for a offensive rebound which he did at the end of the game there like 
these things, it's not just that he made two of them. It's the like ripple effect of that and how in which he's guarded versus being not guarded in those situations. I actually think it's, it's a bigger thing than, you know, maybe we think it is. And back to our middle school offense, you know, mostly when, when Rudy catches the ball in that spot, it's not like on a short roll. It's in a different type of set, but it does feel like it's kind of end of shot clock. Yeah. It's kind of like a broken play. Yeah, you do need to have an option, right? And that goes back to if it's just a natural, he gets it, he knows the situation, he knows there's four seconds on shot clock. To have that be the move, it just kind of makes the offense look better. And I know that sounds really weird, but it's just, it's not so stagnant. It's just a natural thing. Like even when I complain sometimes about these Kyle Anderson corner threes that are like great execution to get that shot, one of the best shots in basketball, if he's not going to shoot it, you have to immediately know that he's going to take a power dribble Mm -hmm. to kind of get his defender off to, to create something else. So, I think it's I think it's great. Also, if they lose that game last night, we are probably spending a lot more time talking about Nick Nick Claxton because he was kind of doing that, right? I mean, he was six for six, seven for seven, taking those types of shots. It's it's what centers in the NBA, yeah, who can't shoot threes add to their game. Yep. Like, I I I mean, give me any center who like doesn't shoot threes, uh, like Nick Claxton. He he's got a push shot. Rashawn Holmes, I, I he, back when he used to actually get minutes for teams, like he would do that. Uh, he would do that all the time. Jakob Pertl added that uh, last season. Valanciunas has more of like a power one. That's kind of more of like a a hook. But these guys who don't or rarely shoot threes, you need to have. It's not even really in between game. It's just outside of the restricted area game. And I mean, Rudy is the best center in the NBA who doesn't shoot threes. That's a low hanging fruit thing there that the other ones do have that I don't I don't see why it's not something uh, that that Rudy could have. Six of Nick Claxton's eight made buckets last night were from five feet or farther. Mm -hmm. Really botched how I said that. But yeah, most of his (laughs) points last night came outside of the restricted area. And that's not what Nick Claxton does. But that is a growth in a young Mm -hmm. center's game that, to your point, cannot shoot three. So, again, ideally... I would just rather have Carl take three more threes than Rudy take three push shots. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> but you need you need to in this more structured, less free flowing moments of a game. You need to know what your endpoints are. You need to know what you're going to do when you get to the dead end. And sometimes when Rudy catches, it's a dead end, and now he has this opportunity to do that. So yeah, I think putting a pin in it is the most notable thing. But I want to see that because the, the jump shot doesn't work. I don't even know if I want to see a power dribble because. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I just push shot. That's that's the that's the solution to that type of situation. And if he can even just hit it at an average level, it it does open up a lot of things. Because last night when Nick Claxton was just kind of killing him from the mid range, which is again is a weird sentence. Uh, it did fluster this defense uh, from one to five. So put a pin in it. Good job. Also subscribe and like to this podcast if you're watching on YouTube or just anywhere because. I think Rudy's listening. I think Carl's listening. Everyone's listening. This is the best pod there is. So uh, we'll continue to try to fix the wolves one day at a time. I got one more thing for you, unless you want to wrap it up. No, let's uh, let, let, let's keep it. I, I wanted to, I got like a, a Jaden McDaniels and a, a, a Jordan McLaughlin thought too. So okay. let's grab one more break here and then let's, let's, let's wrap up for one final segment. Today's show is brought to you by Doer. That's D-U-E-R. And why I like to wear Doer is because when I'm choosing what to wear, the key is to be comfortable. That's why I'm loving my Doer jeans. Doer denim is the perfect mix of comfort, style, and stretch. Historically, I haven't been much of a denim guy, but I like these Doer jeans 
because they aren't so stiff. I have the Performance Denim Athletic Straight Style in the Heritage Rinse color. I've been wearing these to games. I brought them on the road trip I was just on because I figured I can wear them to the game. I can wear them out to dinner. Doer also makes stretch performance denim and lifestyle apparel for both men and women. They're made from natural fibers for high stretch, breathability, moisture absorption, complete with temperature regulating antimicrobial properties to feel fresh, cool, and dry. From the performance denim to the no sweat jogger, I can find a pair that fits any occasion. Plus, Doer values sustainability and uses 85% plant-based materials for natural softness and comfort. Upgrade your wardrobe and order your own pair of Doer jeans today. Check out Doer's flagship stores in LA or Denver or shop online at shopdoer.com slash Moore. Right now, my listeners can get 15% off site-wide when you use my special URL, shopdoer.com slash Moore. All one word, my name. This is an awesome deal. Don't wait to get 15% off. Go now to shopdoer.com slash Moore. Today's show is brought to you by the Game Time app, and Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. I went to a concert last week, and the whole process of knowing where to go to get the tickets, it was stressful because the last time I went to a concert, it was a mess trying to get the tickets from the third-party website onto my phone. But with the Game Time app, I felt confident even last minute that I purchased my tickets at a fair rate, and that's because of their best price guarantee. And then with the app, It was easy to just use my phone and get into the concert I paid for, no confusion. So if you're looking for tickets to a Lynx game, a Twins game, or a concert this summer, check out the Game Time app. You'll get images of your seats when you buy, so you know what to expect when you arrive. You can buy tickets in a matter of seconds, two taps, and you're set, and tickets are sent directly to your phone. So no need to dig through your emails and click on a link here or there. You can just snag tickets without stress with the Game Time app. Download the Game Time app. Create an account and use code DaneMore for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and use the code DaneMore, all one word, for $20 off. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right. Uh, Kyle, what, which one do you want to do? Jaden McDaniels or Jordan McLaughlin? You do your topic and I'll close with mine. J- okay. Jaden, Jor- Jaden, Jordan, whatever. Yeah. Okay. I can be, I can be brief. We, we can go, we can go through it. One, I just want to say like, uh, I think we've uh, at times lost patience with uh, Jaden McDaniels, the, <laughs> the Royal we uh, this season. And, and I think, uh, you know, a, a lot of it is, you know, been, been fair to some extent. I've never got to the point of like, Oh, you need to 
trade him or he's terrible or anything like that. But there's been for sure reason uh, to be to be frustrated with Jaden McDaniels. I've just liked um, the kind of mix that we've got from him a little bit more recently, feeling more of the impact he has defensively. You know, outside of the Charlotte game, I thought he he was one of the the key mailer inners uh, defensively in that game. Uh, but really loved what he did on on Mikael Bridges uh, la- last night in, in that game when, when he had that matchup. And his offense, which is always a small part of the pie, is, I, I like how he's grabbing it. He's not grabbing too much of the pie, but he's grabbing uh, the piece of the pie that is there for him. And again, another like put a pin in it of maybe something, the beginning of something really trending upwards if, if Jaden has happens to have a great next 15 games i'll go yeah we started sort of seeing uh some of the breadcrumbs of this in 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 late january so i i, I like to see that thought that was meaningful and then i i guess this is more like trade deadline oriented and I've, I've sort of said this a few times but as i start thinking more and more uh about the about the trade deadline um i i'm i'm less and less on the backup point guard idea uh, I'm not saying this team doesn't need a a backup point guard. I'm looking at it through the lens of extremely limited resources to go out and acquire a player, and you could probably only get one player. So, so that's that. Mm-hmm. Like you can make one move. So it, it's it's hard for me to say that one move should be backup point guard when I think that becomes you know less of a need once once you hit the playoffs. Um, and I also just wonder, just because they go and get a backup point guard, does not if it's a five to eight million dollar backup point guard, there's no guarantee, or I don't even know if it's fair to assume that that player comes in and is substantially more impactful than Jordan McLaughlin is. Who has his flaws? Mm-hmm. I still, you know, he's been hitting some threes sometimes. I still view him as a quote-unquote non-shooter because that's how teams guard him uh, the majority of the time. But if we're looking at it through the lens of limited resources available and picks to be able to be traded or contracts to be able to be traded, uh, to be matched, um, I'm just, I'm, I'm putting, personally, I, w- I would put that into something else and then maybe backup point guard is addressed in the buyout market mm-hmm. as like a, more, maybe more of a veteran piece that uh, it splits it with uh, splits it with Jordan McLaughlin, or is or is it just another option to sort of have there? That's just where I'm at, and I put that down last night when another time I'm like I'm I'm fine with Jordan McLaughlin getting minutes in this game, and I, I think the the impact is just fine. So that, those were the last kind of two things I wanted to make sure to hit on from the, these last two games is appreciation for the J Max, both of them, McDaniel's and McLaughlin. Jane McDaniels in the month of January is averaging, averaging 11 and a half points on 49% shooting from the field, 39% from three. Uh, he's taken four attempts per game. I think he's been really good. Uh, I don't really get the people that criticize him uh, because we said in September that there's not much more room for him in terms of his plate. That was kind of like a organizational thing it's like yeah i don't i don't know how much more they they told us that repeatedly yeah so i don't know if it's on him if the people making the decisions like yeah there's probably not too much more of a plate that he could even have because we have to lean into carl and anthony's guys 
um, on the on the trade deadline stuff, which is, I think, now less than two weeks from now, two weeks from yesterday. Uh, I'm kind of with you. I did see, like, this morning, our, our friend Jake Fisher was, like, talked about how if there's any room for improvement for the Wolves, uh, rival executives have indicated the Wolves are searching for reserve backcourt help. Uh, I don't think that pushes it back on anything you said because I think they just need another guard. That's been my thing, right? Like yep. last night I texted you, I fixed the Wolves last night in trading for Lonnie Walker um, because you could do... Uh, and you had Dennis Smith Jr. in that. Yeah, I had Dennis Smith Jr., Shake, uh, Shake Milton for Dennis Smith Jr. and Lonnie Walker, and I was like, and how many seconds it takes. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they try to find... I mean, I, I watch this game or this team every night just like everyone else. I just come away from it eye test like they need another guard. They need another mm-hmm. guard. And the Tyus stuff... And like I, I, get, I agree with that. And... Yeah, oh, sorry. That was no, it's like the, the, the tie stuff. stuff. I, yeah. I get that he's Minnesota, but like I, I really believe from what I like that it's going to cost a lot to get ties. I mean, you're seeing ties in like these three team trades with Dejounte Murray. I think the Wizards will hold out and try to get a first. The Wolves don't have they have depleted yep, assets, mm-hmm. but also too, like this team is only really going to go as far as Mike Conley and how much he can play. I so think if the, a if a Wizards point guard is on this team after the trade deadline, I think it's Delon Wright. Okay, would, and that and that's again. It's probably not going to be sexy. Because that's like that. It's a lower money matching yep. point, And it's a lower asset yep. point to, to be able to, to acquire the player. But you're going to play Ant and Mike damn near 40 minutes a night if you can in the playoffs until, you know, something happens or foul trouble or whatever. So there's more rest in between those games. I just don't see them making a big addition. I do think this is where you have a top five exec and the buyout market. Uh that stuff is still, I'm like processing that in the moment. I know you are too, is like the new CBA, but there's a lot of teams right now that can't even get some of those buyout guys if they became available because of the new second apron and all that stuff. So, and, and the Wolves might be one of those teams too. I mean, there's a limited amount of, sp- not not for the reasons you're getting at, like the Gordon Hayward Celtics thing. That's a, like a, being or the an apron Kyle team Lowry and, thing. Yeah. Yeah. It, but from the Wolves lens, it's, they're like $2.3 million under the tax right now. So you could go get, you know, a buyout guy for, you know, less than that and put that into your 15th spot. You're, you're cool, right? You're under the tax and they're not going to go into the tax this year. They're very likely not going to go into the tax this year because they're going to kind of be in the tax in perpetuity going forward, repeater tax, blah, blah, blah. So I say that to mean like, yeah, you could go get a buyout guy and be fine. But then when you go make your quote unquote Kyle Anderson deal or Troy Brown and Shake Milton, Wendell Moore combo salary out deal, then you can't take back more salary. Mm-hmm. In, in that and like shake plus Troy Brown is nine and a half million dollars. And Tyus is more than that. So you do that. And now you're, you know, now you're into the tax and up people might say, well, you know, put Wendell Moore in there or put Jordan. Like I always say this because it's executives around the league have said this to me before too. It's, it's the dumbest thing when you see the three for one and four for mm-hmm. one trades, like team, like, it's not that it never happens, so I, you know, but it's just exceedingly unlikely just because it says, quote, check successful on the trade machine that sending out three or four players for matching salary for one player would would get the, the deal done. It's it's just a far less uh, likely, you know, sort of setup. So that, that th- those are just some financial ramifications that I don't know one way or the other how they will navigate them, but it's something that needs to be navigated, if that makes sense. And until ChatGPT creates their own NBA trade machine, we need to remember that it takes two to tango 
So last night when I was on the trade machine, I was like, hey, Dan, look, I was able to get these two Brooklyn Nets guys for Shake Milton. And you're like, why would they do that? And I had no counter. I was like, well, what about a couple seconds? Like, it, it does. Why would a certain team, if you are solo on shake and tr- like, why would they do that? Right. And that's where you probably mm-hmm. all they have in the cupboard is some young guys that I'm not. This is another topic for next week, but I'm not. I don't think I'm going to put like Leonard Miller or Josh Mine on in a trade just because I think we're going to hit a point where those guys become really valuable because they make no money. Wendell, we haven't really seen anything of. He's probably lowest on the totem pole, but. Yeah, they're probably not going to make a really big move, but I also would be literally shocked if they don't make a move because I watch all these games and backup point guard. You made a great case for Jordan McLaughlin and Mike Conley just playing a lot of minutes. But I just I'm like, I wish they had another Jalen Noel. I just think they need a microwave score. I know Bones Highland, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. They just need another guy that can get them some buckets. And that's sure. kind of why I love Lonnie Walker. So. It'll be interesting. I'm sure they'll be aggressive in the buyout market. They kind of have a lead up on their competition because the Phillies and the Denver's of the world right now can't sign some of those guys that are making over the mid-level they get bought out. So it's going to be a fascinating two weeks, but I would be shocked if this is the exact 15-man roster when sure. we wake up on Feb- February oh, yeah. 9th. That's, yeah. That's Every good. indication I get is activity. Like they're not. Gonna, oh, I'm going to aggregate that. That's awesome. On, on... Thank you. Dane Moore <laughs> said Wolves will be active at the trade deadline. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> Um, what was the other thing you wanted to bring up before well, we can keep it short? I just, uh, probably a good time to close with this. I like Chris Finch. Just, I'm just going to kind of pin my, I'm just going to jump on his back and ride it until it doesn't work out. And you know what? I've heard people, we've had conversations, I've had conversations with people. Maybe this all in the long term becomes a Mark Jackson, Steve Kerr situation where Finch got him out of the mud and then they need a different type of coach to make whatever this looks like next year and beyond work. Uh, I'm not at that level, but I just consume local coverage and and national coverage. And I thought after that Hornets game, Chris Finch said and did everything I wanted in the game. He was trying to pull strings. Like you said, he sat Carl, a guy who has 62 in an offensive defense spot. That's weird. I've seen teams do that with Jamal Crawford when he had 48, they subbed, you know, like, it's not the weirdest thing in the world, but his comments, you disrespected the game. It was embarrassing. He called out his best players. I love that. Then it gets aggregated a little bit, like Bill Simmons, KOC. It gets on national pods that they you know, took the bus and ran over Carl and stuff. Whatever. I don't care about that stuff. I didn't love, for someone who loves Finch, I didn't love that there seemed to be, and we talked about this at Flagrant House, a specific we need to walk those back before the wizards game and i don't know why and it wasn't and it's again this is not anything really big from what i understand and i you understand like the locker room is tight they 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 do look up to finch they love finch i just didn't you shouldn't apologize when you do nothing wrong that's my take it's like i don't think finch did anything wrong after the hornets game so i didn't see a need to apologize but from an organizational level, and maybe you want to talk about, maybe you don't, it seemed like there was a real, we need to get out and kind of walk this back because it was like the first pregame question to Finch before a game where you should be focused on. Are you guys going to bring the it entire tonight? pregame show was, and it was yep. brought up numerous times on the broadcast. I thought it was weird too. Um, cool. I think, I think the way to think about this is why, right? That's, That's what why. I always do when I go, yep. why does something that makes no sense to me? Why is somebody else doing it? And so when I think when I put myself in that position, and I don't agree with this because I'm on your side of it. Um, and none of the players had any problems with that comments. They said numerous times after you the were game, there. Like, <laughs> yeah, they said everything he said was accurate. And then the next day at shoot around when Chris and John talked to Rudy and Nas, Rudy and Nas said, yeah, whatever. 
he, he was 100% accurate. Um, so from that standpoint, that that doesn't present a why for the need to to walk it back. The players don't have a, a problem with it. So I move on in my head to it's got to be something else. And I think the why is, and this is just, this isn't a Timberwolves specific thing. It is a, from being in media for a while, like teams react a lot more to national coverage than they do to local coverage mm-hmm. and, and, and what is being done at that. And like, yeah, I think they felt the need to walk it back because Bill Simmons, who I read and listened to Bill Simmons for a long time. He's one actually, of the people that got us yeah, into this. Sure. Sure. But Bill Simmons probably has not watched a full 48 minutes of a Timberwolves game this season. He has not watched a Timberwolves game in person this season. I don't think um, he's not a, you know, he's not a reporter and, and that's fine. Bill Simmons is hugely influential. I just don't, it, it's that weird collision of why does his opinion matter, but it does matter, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and so I think the rea- the reaction organizationally are clearly from Bally who went full fucking court press on walking <laughs> this thing back was um, a reaction to that. And, and I don't know. And then Bally is our team employees and it's, you know, wanting to correct an, an incorrect narrative. So I, I get, I, you know, I, I get it. It was, I listened to the Simmons thing. It was, he ran over towns and he backed up and ran over him again. And like house and KOC are cackling about it. That that's inaccurate. Um, I just, I, I don't know. I, I guess it, it's hard for me in my role, in my position as somebody who covers the team on a beat level and is there at almost every press conference and media availability and that sort of stuff is I want honesty out of the the coach uh, I cover and I, I want him to be able to speak freely because I think that helps myself. I think that helps, you know, the fan base. And I'm just a believer in transparency as long as, you know, reasonably possible, you know, that, and there's, there's some restrictions to that. I guess I just didn't feel that this warranted that sort of restriction because I think it's a bummer now next time Finch comes to a press conference hot, he's just probably going to water down Mm -hmm. whatever his, I don't know. I mean, maybe that, maybe that is uh, smart from an organizational standpoint. I obviously never worked for a team and maybe the impact is so Mm -hmm. profound that Bill Simmons is doing that. But like, I, I don't, I don't agree with it. And it was just, I mean, you and I started texting like right when that was happening before the game, you're like, I'm like, did I miss something? Was did, did, like, I, I don't think I did because I was literally there when Finch said those comments and when all the other players I was in the locker room, I was just, yeah, I don't know. It was, it was bizarre. And I think it, it, it's probably, we were talking about the, uh, you know, ant learning and growing pains or whatever as a, as a young player, like the wolves are new to being like yeah, good yeah. in the modern era. Right. Like, and and the attention and coverage that that comes with it. So I think it maybe it was just you know and I don't think any of this is is some sort of huge deal or anything. I think it was just a reaction. If, if you're asking why I think it happened, mm-hmm. I think it was reaction to uh, national media, which I think has a <clears throat> unfortunate um, you know negative externality of watering down the coach and 
you know, doing some disingenuine coverage of the the entire topic. But whatever, teach their own. Like everyone, everyone gets their own platform to do whatever they they want mm. to do on it. And it's always important to distinguish that um, you know a local broadcast is they work with the team. You know, so they are whatever they they're, they're working with the team and how they want to express how this this all goes down i think i think that's what it was um you know putting up their shields and swords against the big bad national media yeah and i think it's another reminder too why i've never i mean i technically have worked for the organization but uh that i i believe in my heart of hearts that this is one of the best if not best nba fan bases because they have been given nothing and lost thousands upon thousands of hours and dollars investing in the worst team over the last 35 years. Uh, and I think that same way, again, I'm biased, I'm a part of it, but uh, that the coverage of the team is really good. And it's why I've pivoted so much off of the, when the the schedule comes out and it's like, how many national TV games do the Wolves have? And they only have four and everyone's mad. It's like, actually, that's awesome. Cause that's 78 games where I get Grady and Jim. <laughs> I don't need the NBA people, the ESPN people, the TNT people that don't watch this game, right? Minnesota flyover country uh i want grady and jim to call these games i want alan horton to call these games and i want Britt robson to, to be the guy that i read i want dane Moore to be the guy that i listen to jace and chris and john uh so i thought it was disappointing and i'm a big finch guy but he did nothing wrong on monday mm -hmm. and if i leave you with nothing else after 80 minutes don't apologize if you did nothing wrong and embrace he kind of didn't apologize i guess no but just right? no, 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 yeah. no no but he but they walked it back again in the, let's just close on this. It was intentional Wednesday. There was a lot of other topics that could have gone into that that are basketball related. And it was intentional to try to massage that. And I think if you want to be critical organizationally at any team, right? Again, all 30 NBA teams, uh, the local coverage is probably better than the national coverage. So, you know, and but and the national coverage has a bigger microphone more times or yeah but the loudest people in the room aren't yeah. typically the smartest people in yeah, the room for sure no i and I mean, so obviously i had one side like literally on one side of that equation so i you know i i i agree with you um because we're paying closer attention um but yeah it's just it's it's just one of those weird things man i, I don't, I don't just know. another also too because you said it and you named everyone that was on that pod uh i had a friend this week text me that said are you Dane's house? And I felt really sad about that. So uh, <laughs> I hope that's not the case. Because <laughs> like they'll have a house on it. Like, oh, what house, what have you been hearing? And it's like, Kyle, what have you been hearing in the league? It's like, I don't know, whatever. I talked to Dane. Uh, subscribe to Flagrant House. So no, uh, a weird week, right? Again, that I, I keep coming back to these growing pains and these, I love being this part of life, the book. This is the life of being a good team, man. Right? It's different and there's things to navigate that we have to navigate and we're not, perfect with it it's so much of this is new from the fan base to the organization to those of us covering it to of course the players and the coaches um it's just on a different platform I, um, I nobody I prefer, paid any yeah. attention to a wolves hornets game any year before this ever you know and, i prefer uh consuming series and streaming and stuff i like the the storytelling that goes and the ups and downs of character and stuff i don't really love one-offs i don't love movies and this might just be you know, a novel, a series that we're going through this season of that Celtics loss, the way they collapsed was really embarrassing. And it was off of the 16 game death march. And then it was like, how are they going to respond? They have all these bad teams coming up. They've historically not been good with that. And they're six and two since that Celtics loss, a game that they 
100% should have won. Just like they probably 100% should have won that Thunder game and that Hornets game. I mean, you and I have created this like four columns of what good loss, bad loss, good win, bad win. Uh, they, they, they continue to get some, I guess, bad wins. But that's part of the growth. Oh, they all go in the left column. Though. Yep. I mean, like, it's yeah. like they, they, I've 34 years earlier, most of those years are a lot of bad losses and good good losses, not a lot of bad wins. So mm-hmm. they still have a lot of games coming up. I mean, they have a, another bad opponent on Saturday with that Spurs thing, but then they get another crack at a team that has really impressed me. I've been one of the late people to get on board, but the Thunder are real yeah. and they have a swag about them. And they they're one of their Achilles heels in a positive way is that they are emotionally mature for their age and they know how to execute down the road. So the Wolves bring in more size, they bring in more talent, uh, and that's going to be fun. But this is all part of the journey, and it's been another eventful week for this team. But 32-13, and 13, man, like that's that's a thing. So, I, uh, Speaking of the Thunder, uh, yeah, we're, we're recording this on Friday morning. Um, I recorded uh, with Alex Spears, uh, who, who covers uh, the Thunder, uh, over at the athletic, um, yesterday morning on Thursday morning about the, the Thunder Wolves, uh, matchup on Monday, kind of going back through the three previous times that the Wolves, uh, have played them. And this will be the fourth and final time that they played the, the Thunder, uh, in, in the regular season. I thought it was a really fun conversation. I love doing that sort of thing of being able to like, kind of drill down into a matchup, almost like it was a, was a playoff series. Um, so we're gonna, I'm going to do a little, like on, Sunday morning, do a little quick reaction to whatever happens in the Spurs game, um, you know, five or 10 minutes of just me. And then I'm going to play that 45 minute conversation I had with with Alex Spears, which I think uh, was, I enjoyed it at least. And I think it'll be a, a fun way to kind of look ahead to a different type of opponent. Like right? the, the Wolves are playing themselves against the Wizards and the Nets and the Spurs. Uh, the Wolves are playing the Thunder on, on Monday and uh they need to do specific things other like technically so as to, to be able to, to beat them. So look for that conversation coming out on uh, probably sometime on Sunday morning, the, Sunday afternoon. The wolves are playing themselves on Saturday, but the thunder on Monday, that's a bar. Good way to close. Good stuff. <laughs> that's a real, real analysis. That's, so I, I think that's just true. <laughs> but again, it, and again, we are now kind of now out of this phase, right? And the thunder come up January ends and then February gets a little tougher, but just chapter by chapter. I mean, we are now less than two weeks in the trade deadline. No. I, with a gun, they'll, they're going to do something. And then it's all star. You stuff. with a gun are going to do something or they, no, wait, the yeah, cut uh, that, cut up. that. Uh, <laughs> they, I believe they're going to do something. I'm not Malik Beasley. Uh, so they should, you know, add to this and continue to experiment and figure things out. And maybe they grow and maybe they take a step back. But if nothing else on this week, this segment of games from that thunder game to this next thunder game, I think we learned a lot about them and that's not always positive. I think we learned some bad things about that. That that Hornets game was really, really, really bad, but they did then, however gross it was going to back to back on the road and win both games. And Mm -hmm. they need that because the West is a bloodbath at the top and they're going to have to keep up with the Thunders and the Nuggets of the world. And, you know, the Suns who have won seven straight all of a sudden. So we'll get there. We'll get happy Friday. Happy Australia day. (laughs) He's Kyle Tige. Um, Flagrant Howls, you and Phil recorded yes, Thursday or Wednesday or something. Yeah, we did a couple. We're trying to do two a week. Uh, yesterday, we spent most of the pod just going over the 2012-2013 Timberwolves roster that had 19 guys on it. And I bet you remember just do you remember Chris Johnson, the seven-footer? Yeah, 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 yeah. He got MVP chance at Target Center. I remember that. 
like, <laughs> no way. Yeah. I just always and Mikhail Jello Bale. That, yep. that, 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 that's that. That's right? that team. Lou Amundsen, JJ Barea, Brandon Roy, uh, and one of my five favorite Timberwolves of all time, Andre Karolinko. Mm. That, so that's what you talked about. <laughs> yeah. Flagrant House. Subscribe and like. <laughs> All right. Uh, check out Flagrant House with uh, Kyle uh, and Phil over at uh, Score North's uh, YouTube channel, wherever you get podcasts. And obviously, uh, you're following Kyle for his gamely, gamely, game by game tweet of how oh God. they get 32 wins and you reference the last time they had th- whatever. I don't even know how that all works. Uh, but you're following Kyle uh, over there on Twitter as well. And please be uh, following us yep. um, on, on Instagram and, and, and TikTok as we're gonna try and uh, turn the volume up on uh, greater frequency of just sort of uh, some some social content there, and we appreciate uh, those of you who are you know like looking at us on here <laughs> and uh, and watching on YouTube too. You can subscribe to uh, YouTube.com/slash/at Dane More NBA. That, that helps us out too. Um, yeah, until Sunday morning where it's I'll recap Spurs thing a little bit. We'll we'll talk um, some some Wolves Thunder. He's Kyle. I'm Dane. Peace out. How I'm feeling, man, I hope it never stops, yeah. Green and hot so you can find me in the crowd, yeah, yeah. Don't let standards ever, ever bring you down, yeah. Hope you're dancing like nobody else around, yeah. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.